Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Torah Shack podcast. Just a few things before we kick off. First of all, I want to thank everybody who came out on Sunday evening to the Sugar Club for the podcast for Palestine. It was an amazing and emotional night and I'm putting together the audio for that right now and it will be available for our members on patreon.com forward slash Torah Shack as soon as I can get the edit done. So if you're a member, keep an eye on your feed and if you're not, please join us. Throw us the price of fancy cup of coffee once a month, and for that you'll get all of our podcasts in one consolidated feed. You'll never miss a pod, and they're entirely plea-free, so you don't have to listen to me beg. But unfortunately, this is the situation we're in. We've no ads, we've no sponsors. We rely entirely on you to pay it forward and keep this independent media platform going. I think if nothing else, the last few months have demonstrated that independent media actually really matters and can punch way above its weight. And as I often say, we are pretty much the bottom rung of the Irish media ladder, but we have to start somewhere. So please click the link, it says patreon.com forward slash tortoiseshack and see if there's a level that suits your budget that helps keep conversations like the one you're about to listen to keep happening. Thanks, now enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber Podcast. My name is Tony Gross. Folks, we continue to cover events in Gaza and I'm going to ask you if you're listening to this before the 28th of January, get to the Sugar Club. If you're not, you've missed out and it's going to be an epic night. Uh, I, I'm really excited about it and the other fella, Martin, you, you think you're going to be able to stand upright for the evening, do you? Yeah. I'm hoping I'm doing my best now he's, at the moment. He's blaming it. He said, he said oh, I've only got limited reserves left, Tony. Oh. No, I have I have only limited reserves left. It's, 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 imagine my patience putting up with him. It literally is. I, I was telling the kids I used to be over six foot, but now I'm only a five foot nine because of him. You know, he's just, no. he's worn me down. That's, it's the wallet holding you down to the ground. The wallet, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> but if you are listening, in a super value and you want to use that money you didn't use on Parky Queeve we are available and that would <laughs> yeah, yes but, it's, but would you change super... the name then you oh see, god it have to the, be the... like the, oh, the, the super, super value, value echo oh the super value echo chamber I have no problem give me a million quid a year <laughs> no problem whatsoever I, I, although I will say it's topical to say I am in the running now now that the CEO of Web Summit has stepped down Martin I have a feeling I'm going to get it this time I have a feeling um, yeah the, the... <laughs> If 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 uh, if Paddy Cosgrave can do that job, anybody can. So I'm next, and, uh, <laughs> and I know he listens the odd time, so I'm going to get killed. Um, listen, enough of this bullshit from us. We are delighted to be joined on the podcast by two of the individuals behind, two of the powerhouses behind Families United for Services and Support, Rachel and Faye. Thank you so much, guys. Um, and I will be completely honest with you. This is why we're doing this, because we weren't really aware of the work you guys were doing. So now that we are, we need to let other people know the work you guys are doing. So thank you for joining us. How are you doing? I'm good. good. Thanks for having, having us. That's great to see you. And, and I really appreciate it. Um, maybe, Faye, you could start off and, and let listeners know, first of all, who you guys are and, and what the work is that you're, you're trying to, the, the community you're building and the work you're trying to do. Yeah, I would be a smaller part of us now, to be honest, myself and a lady, um, Lourdes Sanchez, set up um, a, a campaign, I suppose you'd call it, nearly three years ago now, because we were both really 
um, upset, frustrated, angry, defeated with what was going on for our two sons. Lourdes has a case had a case going through the courts for her son having been expelled from school. Her son was expelled from a special needs school, despite the fact that he has very severe, profound special needs himself. Um, and I won't go into details about that because I'm sure there's lots of legal reasons why I shouldn't. But anyway, it was an awful situation for this young fella. And my own young fella was um, bought it. 13, 12 or 13 at the time and um, he was out of school he'd been through three schools through primary level, we were trying to get him a suitable space in secondary school because he's autistic with something called a PDA profile um, and which is pathological demand avoidance which is a total game changer when it comes to autism and the, the way his needs needs to be supported, we were having a truly horrific time um, at home um, for various different reasons but you know and all of us on our knees begging for support. I can't even remember how Lourdes and I connected. I think I read something she had in the, in the paper. And we decided, right, enough is enough. So we're going to try and do something around this. And we got together and we set up Noisy, which is not okay in School Island. And we, what we found is that there are literally thousands of children around the country um, that ha- are experiencing what's called a school placement breakdown. So that's technically that they have a place on the school roll, the school register. They are in a school, according to the Department of Education, but they're not going to school or they're going to school very, very intermittently because the setup is just not suitable for their needs and a lot of this would be neurodivergent kids so that might be kids that are autistic ADHD even dyslexia um, and the variety of other things that come under the heading of neurodivergence but it's also kids and there's an increase in this since COVID that are struggling massively with anxiety that might be an LGBTQI plus child that's being bullied that you know and, and not even necessarily just by the students but that's having a really difficult time that doesn't have a bathroom that they can comfortably use all of these different reasons that's creating massive anxiety and that they're not going to school but and, they're still on the school roll so it's fine and what what is it that you're you want to achieve what is it that you want to achieve what is the aim from a noisy perspective, and we're a small part of FUSS, Rachel deals a lot more with the healthcare side of things, but from a noisy perspective, we have a list of things we want to achieve, but basically inclusive, meaningful education. But I'll let Rachel tell you more about what FUSS do Please. because they, we, noisy have kind of been absorbed by FUSS now because FUSS just does so much <laughs> exceptional stuff. Rachel, come in there and let us know what, what okay. FUSS does. So FUSS is coming up on its uh, second birthday in February. Uh, we started two years ago. I had one child at the time that was uh, attempting to access disability services in Ireland. And uh, to, kind of towards the, the end of 2020, 2021, they reconfigured how disability services worked in Ireland. And while it looked great on paper, it didn't obviously play out the way things they expected things to play out. So what should have led to more equal access to disability services for children had total opposite effects. So children who were who were accessing services suddenly felt their services completely disappear and fall away. The lists grew massively. We have over 100,000 children now that are waiting on disability services, be that speech and language, OT, whatever it is. Um, we've over 100,000 waiting. Our staff levels are falling. We are struggling to retain in the HSE disability staff. We, we've seen a massive jump in staff burnout, um, staff leaving the sector. There is a massive, without getting too complicated, um, disability services in Ireland fall under the HSE but obviously we farm a lot of our disability services out to voluntary organisations such as Enable Ireland Cope all those kind of places and there is a massive pay discrepancy between the two services so obviously when you're recruiting into the voluntary org- organisations it is much harder because the conditions and the pay 
are, are, are different. So if you can get more down the road, you're going to do that doing the same job. So uh, I suppose my tr- my son's services just completely disappeared. We were left completely unsupported. Um, at a time when we were really, really struggling, I suppose when I reached out to the disability service, it was like, we can't help you right now. We don't have the staff. Our caseload is 1,100 children and we are at a vacancy rate of 50% staff. And basically I was told, if you have an issue, go to a we can't help you. And I kind of suppose I thought, I can't be the only person that's feeling this. I can't be the only parent out there that's experiencing this. So I started FUSS. And really what I was trying to do at the time was just highlight, make people aware, because I think if you're not living it and experiencing it, you're not necessarily aware. Um, and it was really just to highlight the lack of funding that goes into disability services. I mean, the government are producing their own reports that say they need to put like 300 million in and they're putting, you know, 56 million in. And they're they're not even following kind of their own advice to, met the, to meet the unmet need. So it's really to just highlight where the failures are, to be honest, and, and how we can fix it. We're very solution based. And and we've spoken about this before, Tony, and it certainly resonates for parents being told to go to A and E. That's that is not the first time we've heard this, Tony. No, it's terrible. And can I just say on that, that? Go ahead, Faye. I have been told by two social social workers, if you cannot cope, take your child to A and E and leave him there. Or take him to the guard station and leave your child there. When he was ten. My son has attempted suicide twenty-four times. And he's 15. I, I have good. to say, and I have to say about Tusla, and I have to say this because it's on my mind, so I must say it. Uh, all very fine and well being able to hand out edicts and boss people around from nine to five. But when people really need the services at weekends and the evenings, there is no Tusla to be seen. And I think that's utterly disgraceful. I think it's utterly, utterly disgraceful. Yeah. Martin, we had to call the guards out to our house a couple of times and a guard came out and told us the story of how not not too far, a few weeks before, this was just before COVID, that they had a child that they had to collect from the family home that was 14 and the family home just couldn't cope because the level of the child's meltdowns were so violent. And this is not the fault of the autistic child. This is, I can say myself as a parent, I've made so many mistakes and learned so much along the way and it's all about environment. But this child had to be removed from the family home on a Friday evening. There was nobody in Tusla and this child sat in a cell all weekend. So, Rachel, you you were going to say something as well, if you don't. I was just going to say it's an important note, I suppose, to make at the time is the person who was managing Tusla at the time that Faye is talking about is now managing the HSE and is over disability Mm. services. So a service that wasn't functioning, we now have someone that's moved in from another service that's not functioning. And I think that's very important to note is that, like, why are we not hiring someone with a track record of improving things? Because we can improve disability services. If the will was there, I 100% believe we can um, improve them. And I think if the funding was there, and obviously at the moment we have a massive recruitment embargo going on in the HSE. Now, it doesn't affect the disability services. And I put that in air quotes because I don't for a second believe that it doesn't completely Um that recruitment embargo, it's all a political game of we didn't get enough funding and we want more funding. So we're going to just put this recruitment embargo in and who cares what happens to the people who can't access the service or who can't access healthcare in the meantime. And I suppose what I really struggle with from a moral standpoint is I get that politics is politics, but we're, we're playing with people's lives here. And obviously that's very evident in Faye's life. And I would hear stories of those constantly of people who are just struggling and day to day. And if the support was there nine to five, maybe people wouldn't need it after nine to five if they felt supported and if their children were accessing the therapies they needed. Their quality of life for everyone, 
not just the child, but the entire family would be so much better. Like we have been accessing services now in a much more meaningful way for the last two years. My son is in a fantastic school who've gone out of their way to adapt to what he needs and not expect him to adapt to their needs because he simply can't. It's just, you know, when he is in a state of anxiety, which is a significant part of his daily life, we have been told if it gets to its height, it's to the level of him being on an aeroplane that's crashing. That's the level of anxiety he functions at if his environment is wrong. And the school have worked really hard on that. And we have got our life back. I have got my child back. Because two or three years ago, we were having to have discussions about whether we could continue to live in the family home because there were certain levels of aggression that were affecting his two sisters that were affecting myself and my husband as a parent you suck it up and get on with it but when it's affecting your other children which it does in so many households and I used to work with young carers and I will bang the drum for the support that they need a report came out in the Irish Times today about how being a young carer impacts your um leaving skirts or leaving state scores, it impacts so much more than that in terms of the trauma that so many families experience. And what then happens is the child with a disability gets blamed for it. But it's not their fault. It's the fault is the lack of services. My son went to his first teenage disco before Christmas. He's doing mock exams for his junior cert next year. Can I ask about about the lack of services? And Rachel, if, if I may come to you on this, as you said, You've been highlighting the lack of services. Mm-hmm. Now, we've spoken to to people who, who highlight the lack of services mm-hmm. in different areas, and particularly when it comes to cams, particularly when it comes to access. Yeah. What is it that you're doing that's more successful? What is it that's that's helping to to improve the access for people? Are you just finding stonewall? We have we've mm-hmm. you know, we've interviewed a lot of people who have come across this stonewall that yeah. you just simply can't get past. I think what we have found fairly successful in the past is we, we, we've kind of gone through all of the phases where it's angry and we're protesting and we're meeting every minister under the sun and we're, we're very data driven. And so, cause I find when you're coming in with a personal story of, you know, this is my child and that they don't care. They don't care. No, you have to hit them with data and you have to hit them with finances and you have to hit them with solutions. And that's what we've tried to do from the beginning is, you know, you will actually, and the, the, the research is there from the UK, that the government in any country would actually save money in the future if they give these kids access to the therapies they need now. Um, so like what we have done, obviously protests, we've done email protests, we've met every single minister under the sun. We've commissioned our own reports about people's experience of disability services. We have excellent connections with actually the staff that are in disability services. We've spoken to staff that have left, you know, 17, 20 years of service because they just cannot stand over what's going on in services. I think the biggest thing we're dealing with at the moment is the lack of the accountability from the HSE and the lack of accountability from our disability ministers. Um, You know, it's very, will very you, will, clear. Will you have the minister now, um, mm-hmm. Rachel, basically pushing back and saying she came out before Christmas and Rabbit and made a big, you mm-hmm. know, thing of saying, "Well, the HSE have made me promises," and they effectively she effectively called them liars, which was an unusual thing to hear from, you know, from a, yeah. from a minister. She's done it a few times. To be fair to her, she's come out a few mm-hmm. times and called yeah, out but, but, but the it's, challenges. But there's only so often, it, like it, if a football manager blames his players all the time, there's only so often he get away with it until uh, he gets oh, the job. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's a case of sorry, lads, but you know who's actually in charge here? Because we live in a mm-hmm. democracy, we are voting you in. So is Stephen Donnelly in charge or is Robert Watt in charge? 
<laughs> I wouldn't want either yeah. of them in charge of my paddling pool, to be completely honest. <laughs> oh, no, the highest paid. I, think, I, think, I think Robert Wobb earns more than Elon Musk nowadays, so, you know. <laughs> Probably, if he's carried on on the trajectory or pay rise that he was getting at the start. Uh, but I mean, and, and the arrogance of the man when he's asked to be accountable in meetings, and I don't know if you've ever watched him in oh, the various yeah. investigations and commissions. He, oh, I, I, but again, anyway, he's, I have to. I have to, that lack of accountability. I, I, Rachel I says. would like to make a comment on this, and if you agree or disagree, it, personality makes a difference mm-hmm. in the HSC. And Robert Watt has the most abrasive, unhelpful, disregardful, mm-hmm. uh, particularly disregarding of those pensioners and those with disabilities, particularly disregarding of their rights. Yeah. Um. You know, it makes a difference. You know, I can't understand why he's put in there when he's already I, disparaged I those with disabilities. I have no idea. Go, Rachel, go for it. My, I was, I, my background is nurse, and I was a nurse for the HSE for about ten years. And my experience is, the more difficult you are, the higher you will get promoted. And I know that will be echoed by a lot of people. The more kind of, um, the more you fight for what's right, the more you will be pushed down and punished. And that's. God honest truth. Um, and that's why I resigned because I just couldn't. I miss I miss Norse and I absolutely adored it. But there's so much politics that's involved in it and it's draining. It's exhausting fighting that every day when you just want to do what's right by the by Mary that's sitting in the bed beside you going, Mary needs this. Let's just get it because that's what's right. And it's very difficult when you're fighting against that politics all the time of, you know, it's so draining. And it's just something you see. You see people just climb higher and higher and you will sit there going, why? Why are they because climbing the higher? Because the mentality, like, I mean, Martin will... It's the Martin, culture. It always yeah, comes back to I, I, People I know, say it all the time. We, we, just specifically, and again, we are picking on Robert Watt and I don't care, but like, I mean, this was the man who made the comment about, you know, um, people with free travel passes abusing it because they got it. And um, and when even even Martin, when, when we did, when you did the, the work to prove that he was wrong, there was no backing down from... No, and, and no, no backing down. No humility. Now, no humility. Is uh, what's and right. even Look, now... T- even now today, there's no backing down. Yeah. It's unreal. Can we can we um, come back to the the actual community that you've said? Because, you know, we've spoken to, I think Mark Ward is, is often, I don't know if you get the press releases, the press releases come out like like confetti for Mark about a particular mental health, youth mental mm-hmm. health and extension of services. Now, that doesn't mean that it's going to change if Sinn Féin got into government. You know, we don't. We have to judge people when when they're in power. But when you look at the stuff that's in the, the, the very general, the... the the, the things that they talk about, or say, say, mental health reform and the the dual diagnoses and these issues that we still screw around with in Ireland, there does seem to be easy wins, but we ignore them. Rachel, is 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 it? Oh God, a hundred percent. I mean, we have given so many easy wins over the last couple of years. Things that are very easy to implement. I mean, we were literally, you know, hour 20 of all disability services, homeless services, everything going on strike there in October. And they offered them what was a paltry pay rise compared to what they should have been getting. But I suppose the feeling from the members was they accept that or they get nothing. So they accepted it. But that still, that leads on to then that recruitment being so difficult and our graduates are just emigrating they're gone they they get trained here and they leave and it's so difficult to make them want to stay and obviously a lot of that has to do with the negativity around 
what it's like working in disability services. So obviously that's something that we are very conscious that we don't contribute to constantly because you want to highlight the issues, but you also don't want to put people off going into disability services because it is, it's a wonderfully rewarding job working with people. And that's a part that I really enjoy in FUSS is when you we would talk to families daily. And if you can help a family with just one thing, getting a piece of equipment, writing them a letter, pressuring a politician, whatever it might be, the feeling when you see that child with that piece of equipment, is there's, there's nothing like it. So, so I really love that part of it. So it is, you advocate for people and it's yeah. true to say you advocate and, and you advocate really well. I mean, that's really important. Can I ask a question? And it's, this is, it spreads across a couple of interviews Tony and I have done. Do you get an impression that when you have a child that has difficulties with say a child that's self-harming or suicidal ideation or whatever else it is, and that when you go looking for help, um, they say autistic. Therefore, we don't have to provide you with A, B, C, D, E, yeah. yeah, it's very common, especially when it comes to CAMs. Um, they tend to say it's management of of autism when a child is experiencing mental health uh, issues or, or difficulties. And it's something that I suppose I think nearly all autistic families deal with. And that's, that's a, a reflection on society, that our society is not accepting of disabled people in general or autistic people in general and that causes anxiety and mental health difficulties down the road but that doesn't mean we don't help them just because it comes with a disability or it comes with being autistic Um, I suppose when I look back at my own life I was diagnosed autistic um, last year myself because all three of my kids were are, are autistic so I said okay it's time to go myself and when I look back at my life I think how much easier could it have been if I had just known why I felt the way I did or why I behaved the way I did or if I'd been supported outside of the home because my parents were fantastic but they had little to no help to deal with the things that they were dealing with. And can I just say into that as well, so much of the work that is being done by CAMS or we look at mental health services for young people and for adults and we fail to look at the wraparound approach that is very much needed yeah. and the preventative approach was still very much in the firefighting cure response. Like there's so much, for example, if you speak to many, many autistic adults, they will tell you that so many of their adverse experiences and so many of their negative experiences came from school. Like so many people, mm -hmm. if you are in a school that doesn't understand what's going on for you, and this is not me slagging off teachers. Teach, I couldn't do their job for a million euro. They do a phenomenal job, the vast majority of them. You do come across some that have got really poor attitudes, but the, for the for the most part, they are fantastic, but they are massively burdened. They are counsellors, they are youth workers, they are administrators. They're trying to do all of these things and there's very, very little they can do. Yet there are so many opportunities. We don't need, you know, classrooms of five students. If we could do that, fantastic. But if we just were a bit more sensible about it and said, okay, you've got 30 students in that class, so we're actually going to give you two teaching assistants and the SNAs mm -hmm. that are needed to deal with the children that have special needs. Because there's roughly 20% of kids, when you include dyslexia, that are neurodivergent and will need some level of assistance. Also, I'll send you on the link, but I watched this fantastic TED talk the other day about how we can use AI in classrooms to support us. You know, and it's not, again, ideal. I'd much rather a human sitting next to my child than a chatbot. But let's use the technology that we have got there. Let's not be afraid of it. Let's use it in a way can that can support classrooms. But school is a massive, Huge. massive factor can, in all can, of our development. Can, can I ask, the children and the children that get excluded from school, um, they're still entitled to an education, even if they're excluded from school. Does that mean that it turns to a different model than the home tutor model? or something? Or are they just left 
swinging. Combination, I think. If they're still on the school register, which is the problem with school placement breakdowns, we have asked as noisy Josefa Madigan, who is the Minister for Special Educational Needs and Disabilities, not on my Christmas card list, and I doubt I'm on hers. But there is a constant ask to tell us how many children are experiencing school placement breakdowns. They do not know because they do not track it properly. So you can access home tuition hours if your child is not able to access a suitable school place. However, when you apply for that, you can get a maximum of 20 hours. And what generally happens is you might get offered two or three a week and then you appeal it and you go round and round in circles through the appeal process. The thing is, though, you have to source the home tutor yourself, which is extremely difficult. And where do you teach the child? Okay, you can teach them at home. But if your child is only going to be there for three hours having that home tuition, is that an hour a day? Is that a full three hours? The parent has to be there. You know, all of these things, there is very little support. It's like, you know, when you get a newborn and you're sent home and you figure it out for yourself. When your child gets some kind of diagnosis, it's a case of go off and figure it out for yourself. And you just don't know how to because it totally, totally you know, kind of knocks you off kilter with your parenting and you have to completely rewrite your whole parenting book. Just, and there are what, so many support services that operate in silos that need to all that, That's together. where I'm going yeah. with this because, the, because again, we have these support organisations. Now, we, we've seen this process recently where, you know, um, when they introduced, say, the, the public services card, they said we're going to link revenue to the Department of Social Protection to, re, you know, to, to link it all to these things so they can link all. So we can have this joined up thinking. And, Maybe it's not a bad idea, but they never passed any relevant legislation to make it legal. So they, you know, Mm -hmm. they they just rushed ahead. Whereas when it comes to something like this, you know, you think you'd have the health service people to engage with the educational service, engage with the. the There is, yeah. There is no joint of thinking. You're completely, you've hit the nail on the head there. And the thing is, you're talking about legislation in terms of the public service card and whatever else, but that actually travels over. Like our disability legislation is next to none. Our educational legislation is next to none. Epson was half enacted. It's now under review for the last two years. The Disability Act doesn't cover services. It literally covers assessment of need. And even then, the HC aren't adhering to those timelines. We have parents ending up in the high court. Um, And I suppose that's the whole idea behind, I don't know if you've seen Tom Clonan's disability bill, but that's the whole idea behind that is he wants he wants the state basically to be responsible to provide those services by law and he's already been told by the relevant ministers that they are going to oppose that because it will place too much burden on the state so that's the idea that's the the you know the feeling they have about disabled people in general is that they are a burden on the state if you listen to sorry i want to make one quick point if you listen to the the guardians podcast uh, on politics weekly it's hosted by my friend of mine john harris and john has a has a um a son who is autistic and he's you know he who he's absolutely besotted with and, and adores but he was being he was interviewing someone the other day, and this was a you know this was the person who was going to be the sort of the shadow disability minister that might be coming in should labor come in and they kept using this word around demand for services and i liked what you've done rachel the whole time because he said there's not a demand there's a need and too often and we frame things all the time now in this neoliberal way of a demand for services. No, there's an individual need. We're not consumers. Yeah. We're actually, these are children who have needs and, and yeah. we have, and we have the resources. So I just, I just like that because we got to make sure we, we win that language battle. And it, when it struck 100%. me when John said it, um, I said to myself, I must be very careful myself now. Not falling into the trap of saying, well, the demand for services is X, Y, mm-hmm. or Z, you know? Sorry, yeah. Martin, go ahead. I, I just want to ask, uh, what can 
the general public or indeed parents of children with needs, what can they specifically do for? How can they? I think just engage. You know, I think what's important is we're, we're in an election year now. It may only be local elections, but they matter. And even if oh, you are oh, not... Oh, there'll, be a, there'll by, be a general. Oh, there'll be a general. Oh, there will be. There will be. But, you know, even if you're not affected by disability, just asking a candidate what their stance is on certain things is really important. How they feel about disability, if they think an inclusive society is important. Because I think that's what we should be aiming for. If a society is inclusive for everyone, it, it's not going to harm me if there's a ramp outside a restaurant. That just makes life easier for everyone. And I think people forget we're all going to become in some way disabled at some yeah, point absolutely. because we all get old and we're all going to need assistance and people forget. And, uh, it's absolutely worth remembering. It's absolutely it worth it. We Sorry. all end up disabled at the end. Exactly. But what's really important is to look at the difference between disabled as a verb and disabled as a noun. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because disabled as a verb is where the problem lies and where we can address things. You know, a person might have a lack of ability to do something, but we are disabling people so much more by the way that we treat them and the way that we exclude them and the way that we behave. And we have all these wonderful campaigns that I think one and a half million was spent on recently or close to that on our rights under the United Nations Convention on the rights of people with disabilities. (laughs) What? Sorry. And there was a million euro. And this drove me crazy and she still has not responded to me. I messaged her about it regularly. A couple of years ago, Anne Rabbit allocated a million euro from the disability budget for a sensory garden, which is a tidy towns project. My child does not need a sensory garden. You know, my friend's children, there are twins and three years out of due, out of date for getting their new wheelchairs so they can't function properly without their wheelchairs. They don't need a sensory garden because they can't get there because their wheelchairs don't work properly. Uh, it is, Faye, it, no, Faye, I need to push in here. It's not, it's really heartening to hear that they've set up a website like, you know, youwillbeheard.ie or some nonsense like this or, or you know, and you're going, we've spent... Just it. tall. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. yeah. This is this is what I mean by engagement. So the public, the general public who may not know the ins and outs will look at that and go, oh, well, we're adhering to the UNCRPD, which is the United Nations Conventions on the Rights of Disability. Aren't we bloody fantastic? But what they don't know is we were nearly last to sign up to that convention. We haven't signed up to the optional protocol, which is actually what would give people the legal right to go further and say, my rights are not I, being upheld. I, I, we I haven't wanna, done I wanna, that. I want to remain, if you're not a long-term listener, you won't remember what the former Special Rapporteur for Housing used to say, if you can't attest a right, you don't have it. And, uh, and, 100%. And, and this, so therefore, all of this nonsense around um, Ireland finally adopting this late to the game, as Rachel points it out, doesn't matter because you can't actually attest that right. So exactly. therefore... And, and that is seems to be what you two guys are about, is attesting people's rights, about finding ways, avenues, mm-hmm. advocating for them. And we did speak, and I have to say this before we can, before I say thank you for coming on and having this, we did speak before, and I, I think we're going to rename you Fachel. <laughs> I, I think that she's a great team, and that she's worked very well together, and I, I think that you're a force to be reckoned with. And thank you so much for coming on and having this conversation with us. Thank you very much for having us. Thank and can I just so say, much. if anybody is struggling and needs help, reach out, www.fossireland.com. Come find us, we, we will help you.
the, the, you see, see what we we'll do, folks. Is the link will be in the podcast, embedded in there. So all you have to do is click on. You'll get the. You'll get. You'll get the contact details. You'll find. You'll find them. Um, you'll find us. Sure, you can always get at me on Twitter or, or, or even on. I'm in that Insta Snapgram place now as well. Um, <laughs> but you, but like, let us know what what if if anybody wants connecting, and we'll absolutely will be returning to this because yes, we we talk about a lot of the 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 politics of what's going on, but this we can't lose focus on this. So thank you and thank you both for being great advocates that's what comes across right now is that you're both great advocates not just for your families which unfortunately turns people into they having to be um mm-hmm. to, to accidental be, advocates exactly but what happens is then as martin would say we, we all end up once 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 you're an activist if you maintain it and you carry it into the world you actually make change so thank you both of you for that um and we will as i said we will be keep we'll come back to this hopefully in the next uh, in the next few weeks as well thank, thanks again folks and maybe see lots of you on Sunday talk to you soon take care bye bye thanks Emil Tony and Martin Martin and Tony speaking to interesting people only it's the Echo Chamber podcast subscribe now on Patreon